Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you that you are indeed here with us and that you're resting our hearts and our minds and preparing us for your word. Let everything that comes from me, God, glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, every week, or the last two weeks, Dwayne has pointed to something that's in your bulletin. It's on page five. I wonder if that's going to be heard on the playback. It's the, called the Grow Up Tool. And it is a spiritual maturity application tool, and it gives you the ability to leave here and have daily prayer, a daily scripture, gives you some tools for which to go deeper into some of the things that we can't quite cover in, in uh, the sermon and prepares you for next week. Um, it's a great tool. And there's a place on there where it says Sermon Notes. And if you have a pen, I'm going to give it to you right now. Everything I'm about to say, I'm going to say it right now. So you can write it down, and then you can just sleep on through the rest of this. <laughs> Inclusivity is the vision of God. It's the core value of Jesus' ministry, and therefore should be the primary work of the church. Let me say it a different way. God wishes that none would perish and all would be found. Jesus came to ensure our reconciliation. And the church is all about getting that message, that good news of love and grace to all people. That's inclusivity. It's the way that we invite each other into the family of God. Radical inclusivity is a little bit bolder word in that it's the intentionality of inclusivity. It's being accountable with our actions, and it's being cautious with our words to where we are promoting the fact that we're all children of God, that we're making sure we're breaking down anything that would keep us or keep anyone from approaching God and experiencing God. And so it's the intentionality around inclusivity. So inclusivity is the goal and the value. It's the gospel, that we're all loved by God, that God desires for each one of us to be found. MCC, Metropolitan Community Church, was founded on this core value. Reverend Troy Perry, he's got a great story. He's got a lot of good books. Um, and in one of them I read that his mother said he was preaching when he came out of the womb. <laughs> She knew that he was called to be a preacher. And so he went through his life preparing his way for that and preaching any time he got a chance until ultimately he answered the calling and went into the ministry, went into the Pentecostal uh, tradition and began preaching right away. He got married and had kids and then he kind of realized that something else was going on in his life. And he had that moment where he had to come to terms with his sexuality and how that played out in his faith. And so he went to his, one of his mentors there in the in the church, and that was a big no-no. So he was excluded from that faith tradition. He was excommunicated, so to speak, from the church. And there he was, with his calling and no place to serve. This kind of put him on a tailspin of depression and uh, suicide attempts. He got very close. He was that wayward son who began to hear that voice versus the voice of God. Until one day, until one beautiful day, 
as he probably approached and prepared that story over and over and over and approached God, God didn't hear it and said, Troy, I don't make stepsons or stepdaughters. You are a beloved child of God. And Troy took ownership to that. And he took ownership to it in the way that he said, that is the gospel, that we're all born of God. It is the money-back guarantee, right, that each one of us come into this world with. It's our warranty, so to speak, and it's long-term, never wears out, that you are born as a child of God and you belong in God's family. Inclusivity. Well, there was uh, other values that were brought into our denomination as he began that church and people started meeting, realized that that may be the hub, but there was other things to accomplish as a church. So we have the value of social justice, spiritual transformation, and community. But I'm convinced that the gospel of inclusivity must happen for us to be able to accomplish those other values. We have to be included in that faith. Troy had to be included there before he could come out and help us with spiritual transformation and he could continue his own spiritual transformation. We have to have that inclusivity for us to have a community of faith and to be included in that, to get that power to be mobilized out into social justice, to look out for the widow and the orphan, the very calling of the church. So inclusivity is the necessary ingredient from which the church can do what we're called to do. So let me talk to you a little bit about inclusivity in the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus came for the ministry of reconciliation, and his number one tool was inclusivity. He gathered so many different kind of folk around him. He was caught eating and drinking with lots of folks. He was caught at a well with a woman who was just trying to get a bell of water, and he wasn't supposed to be stalking to her. He was caught doing a whole lot of things. And it was all about people. That was his tool of the trade. He included people in his lives. He didn't give three-point sermons. He didn't say, do this, do that. He just listened. He just created space in his heart and in his mind each time he encountered someone. That was the tool of his trade. Now, the uh, gospel reading that we have today is a continuation of um, last week's. It's a story in Luke, and it's the third of three stories that Jesus tells when he's basically called on the carpet for this very thing about inclusivity. The Pharisees come up to him and they say, What are you doing? Why aren't you back at the temple continuing to teach us? Why are you hanging out with all these sorts of people of different races and of different religions and of different languages? Don't you know that they're not part of God's family? And Jesus decides to tell three stories. And the last two we heard, the first two we heard last week, and it was the the story of the shepherd who left the 99 and went after the one sheep. And the story of the woman who tore her house inside out to find that lost coin. And now this story. And it's the story of a father who has two sons, and he loves them dearly, and we see how graciously he treats them and how he just wants them to love one another. Now, the stories that we heard last week, this is somewhat similar in that there's a shepherd and a woman who seem somewhat disturbed or uneased that there was something missing. And the same with this father. He seems, he seems to not be able to rest. And so there was like a hole in the herd, and there was basically that missing coin on that woman's headdress, And now we can imagine that there was an empty seat at this father's table. 
There was this yearning and emptiness. And so that story is very similar in that way, but this story takes a bit of a turn from the other two. In that, in that story, we get to see that great, it's a, such a great story. Salvation is coming into the awareness that you're a beloved child of God. It happens in so many different ways. And that's what those two stories are about. We do not know what it's going to look like for any one of us, but we know that God is waiting, God is hopeful, God has set a place for us, and there's going to be a great party when we come into that awareness. But this particular story then goes on, and it adds one more bit of flavor to the message. In this story, we get to hear what it might feel like to be the 99 sheep who were left behind while that shepherd took off, or what it might have felt like to be those nine coins who didn't seem to have much value because she tore that house apart to find the missing one. So in this story, we get to see a little bit about that side, that side of the story. It's pretty easy to remember and to know that we're all wanting to be found, but this part here, we kind of have to come into an awareness of our own prejudices and biases or things that might keep us from being able to understand or appreciate that story once we're on the other side of that story. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. They were coming face to face with that. What happens is that once we kind of get there, we start building our lens and our set of justice, our truth of what's right and wrong and how do we maintain and stay found. Uh, My partner and I last week went to see a movie. It was the new Jodie Foster movie, the brave one. Mm -hmm. I know you ladies have been out there. She just had to be there right on opening day, big screen, Miss Jody. I had to secretly admire. It was, it's an interesting movie. If you've seen the previews, um, Jody's character, Erica Bain, um, she's, she's engaged to be married, and her and fiancé go for a walk, and they're brutally attacked. And her, her husband, her fiancé, dies. What we also see in this preview um, and played out in this movie is that she also begins to die that she begins to lose herself, and her sense of identity um, is start peeling away. And she is in her own tailspin of fear and of depression. Ultimately, she has to purchase a gun to be able to feel safe enough even to leave her home. And um, then another peculiar situation happens. She's approached again with a very similar situation, and this time she has power. This time she is able to take justice in her own hands. And that she does. Now what's interesting about this, and I'm sure you can pick this up in the preview, is they're going to take us on a ride as spectators of this movie. They're going to take us on a ride of seeing how do we handle that situation. I mean, there is some tough stuff going on there, and these are some bad folks. And she becomes basically a vigilante for justice. And let me tell you, I caught myself sitting there going, kill him. Kill him! (laughs) Caught myself right there. What's the big deal, right? They were getting what they deserved. Well, in this parable, we're also somewhat asked to relate to this elder brother. And I believe if you're like me in any way, you can get there pretty quick. He has a younger brother. He has a younger brother who takes his part of of the father's household and off he goes, and we're told that he basically wasted on loose living. 
And the wise brother, the older brother, stays behind and tends to daddy's business. And so what we see in this is that this younger brother, in all of this, walks up basically to his dad. In this day and time, if you were to get your inheritance, you, you, you only got it when the man croaked, right? You only got it when he was gone. But for him to walk up to his dad and say, I want it early, he basically was telling his father, you're dead to me. Give it to me. And his father said, okay, and off he went. And in this story, we get an opportunity to see that he returns, and this older brother's sense of justice is completely violated. He had stayed back, and he attended that farm. And if if you'll go with me for a minute, imagine this. And we can gather this from the details of the story. Every day you come in from a long, hard day of work, only to find your father standing over there and looking off into the distance and waiting, hoping for that brother of yours to return. Days go by with this. You wake up the next morning, you go out to the field, but you can't help notice that Dad's hanging over here looking and waiting for that son to come home. And then you get to dinner and you're ready to talk about your your day and how great the business is going, And you can't help but notice that between you and your father is this empty seat. Waiting. Waiting. So I think you can join me in saying, Kill him! (laughs) Kill him! He felt, he had to be somewhat justified in the way he was feeling. I mean, what happened is this boy returns. And before, I mean, he's working up that story. I've done this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. And he couldn't even, because why? Because the father saw him from afar, ran to meet him and said, hugged him, kissed him, embraced him. It's that great story. Party is on. There was no go to your room right now and think about what you've done. There was no penance. There was no... Retribution of any kind. It was immediate and direct forgiveness with no strings attached. I love you. Here's your robe. Here's a ring. And here's the best calf I have. And that older brother's got to be going, wait a minute. Now he's into my inheritance. I think that we can all relate to this story, especially here as participants in this faith community. Let me tell you a little bit about inclusivity and the way, some of the ways that we can make it work. Inclusivity is using language, imagery. It's the way we speak to one another. It's the way we worship together. It's being very intentional about creating a space and banking everything we have on one thing, and that's our relationship with God saying, that's the one thing I'm going to stand firm on. That's my cornerstone. That's my bedrock. And so now I can compromise in areas that can set a stage for you to find the God of your own understanding. That's inclusivity. But hey, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. I come here every Sunday. I'm giving my fair share in that plate. And now you're asking me to do what? What kind of language do I have to think about? What kind of song do I have to sing today? We go to this scripture, we hear that. Look, the older son says, how many years I've stayed here serving you, never given you any grief, 
but have you ever thrown a party for me? And then your son returns who's thrown away your money and you throw a party? God, help this older brother. And God, help every one of us, for we know what that feels like and we know what that might feel like to have that kind of rage and sense of justice. We've earned that sense of justice. We also know that when we do that and we say, your brother, your son, we push away basically and exclude our family, the very people that we so desperately want to love us, that we so desperately need in our lives. And that's what happens here. But resurrection, listen to this. This is what the Father says. Son, you don't understand. You are with me all of the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours came home. He was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Very quickly, God turns it on us and reminds us, wait a minute. I wasn't sitting out there looking because I was worried about him. You were incomplete without him home. You were the one I was waiting to return. I need you to know that my love is big enough and radical enough and extravagant enough that I can love you and him without holding back. One does not take away from the other. It is infinite, God's grace and love for us. It cannot be measured. It cannot be contained. Well, the Pharisees definitely were coming face to face with their complaints here. Because, see, they had stacked their deck based on a God who keeps a checklist and checks it twice. Wants to find out if you're naughty or nice. I think y'all know where I'm going with that. (laughs) And they believe really anything short of that is not really justice at all. And so they had lost themselves and become what? Vigilantes of the law. They had put everything and banked their account on the fact that they had made it, and now i got to do these things, and you must do these things to experience God, to be a part of God's family. This story ends in a most peculiar way because the son is left outside of that party listening to the music and the dancing. So we don't really know how that older brother responds, and I think Jesus leaves that as an open-ended question for each one of us. He's basically asking us this. Will you come in and dance? Will you take another look and try to see each other with the eyes of God? You see, this invitation to this celebration is not just to reconcile us with Dad, but with our brother and our sister. Will you join Jesus in this business of reconciliation? Will you be willing to break down barriers of religion, race, dogma, and open your heart to those that might be on the margin? Will you make right relationship your number one agenda? Resurrection, that is the calling of MCC churches. That is the calling of the church worldwide. That is the vision of God, that all of us would find our way, would experience God, all of God's love. I would like to think that we would change and alter the story, that we would transform from the older brother, go in, enjoy the dance, and ultimately become more like the father, that we would be that shepherd 
in search of the sheep or the woman in search of the coin and that we would participate. Can you imagine how this story would have differed if that brother would have gone out and found him out there in that pig sloth and said, Hey, he's been waiting. Come home. He loves you so much, and guess what? So do I. And I'm incomplete without you. Amen.